Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by MTM's managing editor, Mark Osterman, and returning from his 18-month road trip, Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies. Joe, good to have you back. Great to be back. 2,400 miles, bought a hamburger, drove a ton. It was, it was a good time. It was a good time. Get a, did you get a Happy Meals for the kids uh, for the car rides just to keep them entertained for 12 minutes? Mark, on the ride back to Boston from New Jersey, the final leg, the kids said, can we please not go to McDonald's? Those words were uttered. <laughs> My kids would never say such things. Blasphemy. I, I guess. I guess there is there is a limit. I asked my daughter because she uh, we did, we have the back to school thing tonight where you meet the teachers and bring all your stuff in and everything. And I was like, "What do you guys want to do?" Because they go back to school on Wednesday. I'm like, "What do you want to do Tuesday as like your final meal, so to speak?" And she's like, "McDonald's." I'm like, "You like just had it yesterday? Like, what are you talking about? You can go to McDonald's anytime." Oh, okay, but that's really what I want. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, I mean, at least she uh, she knows what she wants. That's. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. So uh, what you guys been up to? I just spent the weekend in Texas in Amarillo, which people love to. Spoken know, by to like Am- one, 100 people in history. <laughs> why does, why does everybody hate that part of Texas? Like there's some cool things. No, it's just so random, like Amarillo. Like that's what I think of. Wasn't Kevin Costner and Tin Cup from Amarillo? That's what I think of. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, they have the second biggest Canyon in, in the United States. There's some other cool stuff, a really historic amusement park there. Uh, as well good texas barbecue yeah and it's only like an hour and a half flight from vegas it seems like it should be farther away than that but it's really close because it's on that texas panhandle so yeah good time in texas really friendly people probably the friendliest people i've seen throughout the pandemic like the less you know stressed people and uh, because they're they're the most excited to actually see tourists (laughs) yeah i don't know what it was but it was cool to, to go to the to the classic parks eat some barbecue I go to the Big Texan, of course, which is that famous steakhouse there. Eat a big steak. Uh, they have that 72-ounce steak challenge where if you eat that, a baked potato, a roll, some fried shrimp, and a salad, I think you get it for free. So it's $72 for the 72-ounce steak, but if you eat it all, you get it for free. Would you do that? Uh, well, I don't eat steak, so no. But if I did, I would give it a try. Well, I mean, you might as well. You're there. Maybe in my Why younger not? years. I, don't, I feel I don't like I, I feel like if you haven't eaten all day, you might be able to pull it off because there's no time limit, right? Like it's not like in no, it's 60 minutes. minutes. 60 oh, okay. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I never eat the fat on the steaks, though, or I, at least like the super fat chunks. I always avoid them. So if they count that against me, then I probably couldn't do it. Well, the problem with this is it's a 72 ounce sirloin and it just doesn't look all that good. Have you, I, I, you know, they have a they have one that they put on display outside so you could see it. And it just kind of looks nasty. I mean, it's it looks like a giant sirloin steak, but it's just too big. And Joe, there would be no fat because the sirloin pretty lean. So you uh, probably have to eat. Now, it when you all. go, when you go back, everybody from Amarillo will not be nice to you because you just ripped on their seventy-two ounce famous steak. They got to give you bonus time for chewing if it's a sirloin. Yeah, you know, there you go. So so tough, but yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. Especially a seventy-two ounce uh, one. But no, Big Texan's cool. The food there is really good, and the prices aren't bad. I had a twelve ounce uh, ribeye, which was delicious. And much more to my uh, to my liking, so uh, that was uh, that was really good. And Amarillo is a cool place, Mark. So you know you should go there sometime. They have some cool breweries and bars and stuff. Uh, Dave stopped it. We stopped at a tap room that you know he picked up some cool beer and said it was really good. So they have a, an interesting scene there as well. So don't uh, don't pass on Texas, North Texas. You been up to anything, Mark? We went up to the cottage uh, Wednesday. I think it was hot this week. This week, uh, like high eighties with humidity so almost vegas-esque uh heat you could say with the humidity but yeah so we went up there uh, you know thursday once a month i don't have a, a diamond lounge thing to do thursday night so i took advantage of that and we went up took the kids up and then my wife came up uh, a couple like a day or so later 
and we spent there all weekend, had a friend come up and visit and everything. So as you can see, I'm a little bit tomato red, which uh, only Sean and <laughs> Joe can see because went to the beach on Sunday and didn't put sunscreen on. I didn't think we'd be there very long, but it was like three, four foot waves. So the kids were riding it in, a, uh, in one section of it because we have break walls and stuff. The water was going all the way up to the break walls. So you would have big waves come in, hit the brick walls and then come back out. And it'd be like two waves merging, which would, you know, send like a five foot uh, wave. So we had kids on tubes and stuff and they were going up and down and kind of like a wave pool. So it was kind of cool. So we ended up spending like four hours on the water. So that was my mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, having fun, that's uh, that's a good time. So nothing wrong with that, especially at the end of the summer. Have some uh, some cool times ahead because that fall is just around the corner. So Let's uh, get into the show, but before we do, as a reminder, if you like this show, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us in your favorite podcast app or just head to mtmpodcast.com where we have links for everything. If you want to dive in deeper into the world of miles and points, check out our Patreon. We only have a limited number of slots left. We're going to be having to raise the price on it. Uh, it's $10 a month right now, going to $15 a month when these slots run out. Uh, that is uh, patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. We recently launched our Slack, so we have a Slack, private Facebook, all our bonus content, really, really great group, plus our meetups as well. And also, if you are applying for a credit card, don't forget about us. mtmpodcast.com has the links. If you like our content, if you see value in it, provide value back by uh, helping us out with that. So let's uh, let's get into the show. And after all of that is said, let's talk about you sound, what you should you trust. You sound like short-winded all of a sudden. <laughs> I was short-winded. I wasn't breathing properly, so... I was almost as if you I thought to, I was you live. To, you need to time the breaths between your sentences. Yeah, okay? yeah. No, I didn't. No, I totally didn't. All right, should and I do it again? You were doing was it, it that bad? Like, was it that bad? Yeah. No, it was fine. No, I was out was of breath. Fine. It's fine. No, at the end, no. you could definitely tell you were like, okay, okay, and that was that. We should, yeah, should leave it. We should leave it. And it's stupid because I was doing it as if I was live on tape. I could have just stopped taking a breath and then said it. Hey, right. newsflash, Sean. Even if you're live, you can breathe in between sentences. <laughs> No, it's, it, yeah, it's just a matter of it's trying good. to get the cadence right. All it's right, not, fine, stop. It's not good podcast if you die. I mean, on video, if it was live, then you dying would be kind that, of like newsworthy. <laughs> yeah. All right. We would get so many clicks. <laughs> all right. So after we go through all of that, talking about how people can support us, all that, let's talk about whether they should trust travel blogs or Miles and Points blogs, or specifically, Zoe uh, wrote this week about why maybe you shouldn't trust travel blogs. And she spoke about her experience writing about Tonga a place that she spent an incredible amount of time now, like 18 months. And uh, she has this very deep sort of experience with it. And she was doing some research, reading what others had written, and kind of came to the conclusion that a lot of the travel blogs, and I think that this might extend to miles and points, are written by people who don't have a great amount of experience at the place. For her, she's talking about destination blogs. You know, somebody's writing about, I don't know, Las Vegas, and they visited there once, something like that. Uh, certainly, like, I've only been to Boston once, Joe. I, I could probably Google some stuff and write a whole guide about being to Boston, but should you trust my opinion on that? Um, you know, what do you guys uh, think about the subject? How do you sort of find people that you trust? Or how do you, when you Google something and you get information, how do you know whether to trust that? Yeah, I think this plays a big role like with influencers too. You know, you see Instagram influencers and uh, people on Twitter and stuff, and they they promote this thing. And we've even seen people get busted, like they're taking pictures while they're in Italy, but it's just like a backdrop that they make look like Italy and and stuff like that. So, and these are people with millions of followers. So they, you know, even that's like fakeness. So it is interesting. It's something that you definitely have to consider. She brings up a good point. She's like, I'm in Tonga. I've been here for a year and a half, and I have actually literally eaten at every single restaurant. So I'm writing about, I'm giving you like the complete knowledge. I can rank them because I've had it all. And if you go to like a, what are the 10 best Airbnbs in Paris? Like what are the chances the person writing that has stayed in 30, 40, 50 Airbnbs that they can actually, you know, determine what the top 10 are, or have they even stayed in any of those 10? And she said, you know, in the past when I'd write for travel blogs, they'd say, just grab this info and, and regurgitate it essentially. And she's like, I never stayed in those places, but that's what they wanted me to do. That's what they're paying me to do. So that's what I did. And I think you run into that a lot with like corporate type of websites where they're hiring people that are just, you know, have a background in writing and they don't necessarily know what they're talking about or, you know, they just kind of get the info from other websites and then merge it all together into one. So that's something you have to pay attention to. I will say, you know, I, I find it less prevalent in the miles and points space, especially in, you know, independently owned blogs, because it, most of it is 
people writing about their experiences, flying a certain airplane, going to a certain destination, staying at a hotel. Like they're not writing these 10 best hotels in Las Vegas type of lists. So I think you find less of that issue, but there definitely is some of that um, when you, depending on the site, you know, people writing about stuff they don't know about and they're just regurgitating facts from other places. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Miles and Points blogs don't have as much of an issue. The thing that I have always appreciated the most from Miles and Points bloggers is when trip reports are written, it's generally just like your experience on that particular flight at that particular hotel at that particular stay. And I've always found that it's just better to hear someone's actual experience than to see a list or something like that, like you said, Mark. So, you know, especially when I was first starting out, if I was trying to fly in Cathay Pacific business class or whatever, you know, I would go look for a review and see how that bloggers, I don't know, Sean, do you have a Cathay Pacific business class review up from like seven years ago? I don't know. Maybe you do. Not, not business. I think first, but not business. Oh, oh, oh. excuse me. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me. Excuse me. But what I'm saying is I always appreciated being able to read that experience because I can take it with a grain of salt knowing that maybe that person's not the same as me. Maybe they have different things that they care about. Like if I read Mark's Cathay Pacific business class <laughs> trip report. Um, so you know, I like that. That and was first yes. class as well, Joe. Just so oh you. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, first class. Short, first class. Short white rice. summary. Soy sauce sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I do think though, I do use those lists for like top ten places to eat and whatever you know that voters will have or all those random websites. But I always only use them as kind of like a starting point. Or if I have no time, then I just got to trust the list. Um, but it's always better to talk to someone or read someone or listen to someone who has had more experience uh, on the ground. So I, I definitely think Zoe is right. You know, we need to take what all travel websites say with a grain of salt because one person can only experience so many things. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a phenomenon with new bloggers that they feel like they have to portray themselves as knowing more than they do. And so as people sort of get into the blog space or even in social media influence, I see this all the time where people are sort of vague about their experience. And I get it. Like if you start a miles and points blog and you've just been in the hobby for six months, maybe you don't want to say that, but I've seen that a lot of times. I've seen a lot of people like start a blog and they're very, very wishy-washy about how much experience they have. And instead of just being honest about their journey. And I agree with you, Joe, hundred percent. I look for people that I trust and that I like their opinion and that kind of inspires me. And then I sort of, if I'm trying to look for activities, things like that, I'll look for crowdsourcing uh, where there's a lot of reviews or a lot of information. Um, but I don't really trust those lists and things like that. I've also know a lot of travel bloggers. I've been to travel blogger conferences. I've been on trips with travel bloggers on like on press trips. And a lot of these people write just to get free stuff. And I'm not, I'm not complaining about that, but there's also that whole other side of it with where they're getting paid from, how they're disclosing that. On the financial side, we have to disclose everything, you know, really, uh, really strictly, right? The, the credit card companies that we work with, the banks, all of our partners, they watch our site. We have disclosures everywhere. We, Mark and I have talked about this in the Vegas space where there's Vegas influencers on the payroll of casinos that do not disclose it. And in the travel space, it's the same exact way. And so I feel like the only real way to do it is to sort of take everything with a grain of salt and then over time cultivate people that you begin to trust, you know, over long periods of time, people who have been doing it for a while. And that's sort of what I use as my metric for it. And this is one of the times where social media can be good. One of the rare times social media can be good. You know, the Facebook looking for recommendations thing, or if you just put it out on Twitter and you'll get a ton of responses, probably response overload uh, if you are connected with enough people, but you can kind of pick through those like you said, Sean, from the people you trust. And, you know, then you can start DMing people and asking more details about this place or that place. So I, you know, that has always been really helpful. And that's one of the great parts of being in a Miles and Points community, whether it's the Miles Memories community or any of these other Facebook communities, people have a lot of suggestions. And the nice thing is when you're asking for suggestions for places to visit, people are less nasty. It's not like some of these other social media posts where people can get uh, nasty for no reason because social media actually is garbage <laughs> yeah true it is one of the the posts i think people like to help out the the most on um even if it's like hey i want to go somewhere in southern u.s for the winter where where should i go or hey i'm going to this city what's a, a something i should check out type of thing so 
I do think people will share and everybody has different interests. You know, some people will look for the museum. Some people will look for the breweries, uh, you know, other places will look for the fine dining. So it is a good way to get different perspectives because you don't know if a certain person will, will agree with you on, on what is important to them, you know? And I think that's something you grow to learn as you read a site or a particular writer, you know, what are they kind of keen to, what, it, what, excites them what doesn't you know and then you find like sean says you find ones that have similar interests as you because they'll give you perspective on that if i go to a place and and i'm giving a review on a you know a museum that i'm probably not the best person to do it because i don't go to a ton of them it's not something i i seek out i do go from time to time depending on the city but i'm not going to give you uh you know a, a, an overview of a this museum compared to 50 60 others that i've been to so you want to find somebody that that's what they do. That's their thing. So, you know, you could have specific. Now, if you want to, somebody to review ballpark, somebody who goes to a ballpark, doesn't watch a baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's your guy you know, or breweries. Yeah. I mean, no, but to the point, you really do seek yeah. out really cool, interesting bars and like breweries and nightclubs. And you have this expertise and I've you know been with you and like you find really neat, cool places that I would never even think of or find, you know, when you're in, in places. And yeah, that's exactly right. You know, find people who. uh who step up and yeah, my uh, trick, my trick is just walk around until you see something that looks cool and then go in. I don't like to make plans. Uh, I mean, I'll have like a rough sketch, but I feel like you find the most unique places one by just kind of venturing out and seeing where you end up and two, talking to people that live there. So that's what, you know, Sean's witnessed this too. Wherever I go, I like to talk to people, particularly uh, locals that live there and get suggestions from them because like a Froders or however you say it, or a web a blog, they're going to go to the main spots that everybody goes to. They're not going to, you know, find these unearthed gems. It's the people that live there and go check everything out. If you come to Detroit and you want some recommendations, I'm a person you go talk to, but if you're going to Cincinnati or something like that, I, I don't know enough about it to tell you anything other than like the main spots. So that's something, you know, find place people, that are, you know, specialized in certain areas and read them for their advice on that type of stuff. And you make a good point. Spontaneity can be good. And I feel like with all of this overload of information we have in 2021, it kind of can and hurt that spontaneity. Maybe we learn too much about everything. And when I when I first started backpacking in the mid 2000s, you know, the internet was there and there was information there. But for the most part, we would use a, you know, a travel guidebook, like old school, Lonely Planet type book and that would kind of give you an overview of where you were going and, and some things but from there you just sort of figured out what to do what was cool and that spontaneity is important I think in travel or at least in for me in, in having good trips so yeah it's I like to know stuff but I also like to just find stuff along the way and uh, that's that's pretty cool I do love me some Rick Steves if we're talking about old school uh, travel books you know, there you go still I still like his stuff to this day uh, going to Europe so shout out to him he still has a huge following, I think, and even through the, the old days among people who are 65 and older. <laughs> Joe, so <laughs> qualify, qualify. All right. So let's uh, talk about your road trip. Speaking of Rick Steves, you are the modern day Rick Steves of the road trip on the uh, northeast corridor of the United States. But I mean, you've been gone for like, what, three, four weeks? Yeah, I was gone for 24 days total. Uh, it was a long time to be away from home. Oh, mm, couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I've done it. Like we've definitely not done it with kids. I mean, to be fair, we were cheating, not cheating, but you know, we used my parents' house in New Jersey as a home base. So, for example, at certain times we did not travel with the dog. The dog stayed at my parents. Of course, sometimes we traveled with my parents, so the dog came with us. But it was a great trip. Um if you've been following along or if you haven't, like we went to New Jersey, the Poconos. I went to DC with my dad and my son, and then we went to Outer Banks and Across this whole trip, we saw my entire family, and then we also saw my wife's entire family. For my wife's family, like they hadn't seen each other since December of 2019, so that was really great as well. So it was really nice to be able to do all this, and also we really lucked out because we were supposed to be in Disney World right now, um, but we decided to cancel uh, about a month ago, and we lucked out and we got a house on the Outer Banks, um, which is where we met up with Jess's family, so... We just got really lucky overall, and we felt really blessed to be able to see everyone. Now, I will say that drive down to the Outer Banks from New, from New Jersey 
was really rough. Uh, it was about eight hours on the way down, maybe like 10 hours on the way back. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge, I don't know if either of you have ever driven over it. That was really beautiful and really cool. But everything else, just with the traffic, the beach traffic, pretty rough. But Outer Banks itself was beautiful. Uh, I can see why people like to summer there. The water was a lot warmer than I'm used to up in the northeast. And the beach was nice. And we had direct beach access from our house. So that was really cool. I don't know. Do you guys know what the Chesapeake Bay Bridge is? Yes. Uh, no, but it, it, it is funny that uh, I have two friends that live in Jersey and they both have always summered in the Outer Banks. So I don't know if that's like a Jersey thing. New York, it's Florida. Michigan, it's Florida. And Jersey, it's the Outer Banks, I guess. But my Disney joke is you canceled your Disney trick, uh, booked a house on the on the ocean and saved thousands of dollars in the process. <laughs> You're not that far away from the truth. I mean, it was an expensive house, but I still think uh, we did not spend as much as we would have spent at Disney World. Chesapeake Bay Bridge is a super long bridge slash tunnel system. So you're like on a bridge for a long time. Think that bridge from True Lies. That's like over the ocean where, you know, they blow it up with a rocket launcher at the end where the woman from Wayne's World is fighting. One of those types of bridges, but then you go in a tunnel like under the water for a while and then you go up on a bridge again and then you go in a tunnel again. But like the tunnel is like deep enough that these huge freighters can go across it. Um, and so, you know, it's a really cool kind of work of engineering. And that's you know one of the fastest ways down. The Outer Banks is, is really nice. I don't know if it's, I guess it's worth the drive, but in the future, like I would break it up by like stopping in DC or something, or maybe stopping at one of the beach areas in Delaware on the way down. Cause it was just like a really long drive. Do we um, beach? So it was pretty brutal. Yeah. A Rehoboth. Or just not with Rehoboth. kids. <laughs> yeah. Now so. I heard Joe that last week was the slowest week of the year at Disney world. So uh, was that, was that the week you were supposed to be there, right? No, I was supposed to be here right now, which is still super yeah, slow super right now slow. as well. Um, but Cause no, nobody has that glide, the body glide. That's why they don't want to go. <laughs> the supply chain is, uh, has run out on that. Yeah. The, the bridge and tunnel, the Chesapeake Bay bridge and tunnel has been something on my list for a long time and something I will definitely get to see. Uh, it's, it's really a cool project. Uh, and your city has one of the more famous tunnels as well up in Boston. So I guess I get, get nerdy I mean, about it's not as cool. It's not as cool. The Don't ever Bay take Bridge. the tunnel. Do the water taxis in Boston. Only water taxis. So I would also say the really nice thing is when you're traveling with your extended family and you don't hate each other. 3% of Just as like after the summer. I know. Yeah, you just lucky. lost our entire audience. <laughs> <laughs> but even Jess was like, oh, I, I, I understand you now. After four days, you can't stand anyone who's not from our family. So my limit is about four days. However, if they're there, Jess and I were able to take each of the kids one at a time on like little side trips, just like an hour here, uh, two hours there. But we went to go see the sunset with my daughter and like we saw like we were at this salt marshland and there was like deer like bounding in front of us. This was at the Outer Banks. That was really cool. We took my son to the beach uh, on our own. You know, we went searching for crabs in the sand at night, like with flashlights and stuff like that. So there's a lot of nice stuff to do. And we also had a pool at that house in the Outer Banks as well. So, you know, we go to the beach in the morning and <laughs> hey, like I said, Cheaper than a Disney vacation, so yeah, you know what, what are you gonna do? And Mark, the Mark, eggs, Mark, pretty much, pretty much any trip cheaper than a Disney vacation. Mark got in a fight with Benji this week about his Disney trips, even though Benji's using miles and points to pay for them. Mark was giving him crap well, about the amount of money directly. Yes, they were. true, true. I think Benji's like Scrooge McDuck with his uh, like from Ducktales with his pile of Disney gift Disney cards, gift he goes cards. swimming in his vaults because <laughs> he's not spending them. But yes, uh, Mark, the eggs, the number of eggs consumed. You know, a small, small village. No, but uh, lots of Costco runs for eggs. Yeah, but it was a it was a really great trip. And one thing that we were talking about is I definitely miss going overseas. And I, of course, definitely miss flying in premium cabins on long haul flights. But at the same time, I think there's just so much to see in the United States that even if we were stuck here for the next three to four years, you know, because we started talking since this road trip went well, we were like, oh, well, we could fly out to the West Coast in the future, rent a car, drive around all the national parks there for a couple of weeks, you know, and enjoy it just as much. And so, you know, it's just a real reminder to us, although, of course, we wouldn't have our hamburger to keep all of our stuff. But uh, that's a cargo box top. Uh, by the way, someone, te <laughs> the someone hamburger texted me. Uh, true hamburger. <laughs> someone messaged me and said, 
I call it a hamburger too. So shout out. Thank you so much. But anyway, um, it was just kind of a reminder. There's, there's so much stuff to see. We could go see the second biggest canyon in uh, Amarillo, Texas. You know, and there's some cars so to see. spray painted on the side of the road. Dude, why yeah. are you hating on Cadillac Ranch? It's like the <laughs> probably the most famous roadside America thing. You know, it's cool. Because what is the what, what's the one outside of Vegas that you stop at that's like rocks painted? You just yeah, like kind of gives me things. yeah, that's Seven Magic Mountains, and that, that always gives me kind of a similar vibe because you park and then you have to walk through this field, and in Vegas you have to walk through this desert to get there. So uh, yeah, kind of similar. But yeah, Cadillac Ranch is really really neat. That was my second time there, and. You're just jealous because I got better MTM glasses pictures uh, than you did this past weekend. Yeah. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Sean's re referencing that he went to Cadillac Ranch, which you said it was super famous. I had actually never heard of it. That being said, when I saw it, I was like, this is pretty cool. All right. So, Joe, you know that the whole the mountain range in the Cars movie and in Cars Land at DCA is modeled after Cadillac Ranch. If you look at the mountain range, it's the taillights of the old Cadillacs. So uh, there you go. There's some Disney nerd stuff for you guys. Uh information i never needed got it <laughs> well i mean we know how much of a big disney fan you are mark with all those princesses on the walls of your house oh, yeah. so uh, the two in my in my daughter's room yes 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. so anyway great trip i don't know if i have recommendations for how to like survive a long car trip we listened to a lot of audiobooks like i talked about a couple weeks ago and that really worked well I can't complain. The kids were just really good about things, aside from getting sick of McDonald's. Nintendo no. Switches for everyone, that's how. They did not play the Switch in the car. I mean, they watched, you know, we watched some videos that we had downloaded on our iPads at times, but, you know, between the audiobooks and a couple of hours of videos per trip, uh, they were really good about it. They were pretty honest, and they're like, we didn't really like sitting in the car, but we really liked the destination. So at this point in their lives, I have fairly reasonable children, and so I'm not going to complain about that. Very thankful for that as well. Speaking of a California road trip, I, that's something that I need to do and hit like where all the baseball parks line up that they're all home and hit like the five or six that are there, not watch any baseball, but check out the ballpark. So I definitely in the next uh, year or two, that's kind of like my goal. One of these early, well, late, like late spring, go out there and just spend a week driving up and down the coast. Yeah, definitely recommend doing that uh, if you can, because it's an amazing California is amazing, especially going to the coast and hitting all those cities with the ballparks would be a, a fantastic trip because they're all uh, so cool. So, yeah. Well, good, Joe. I mean, any other words? I mean, I, I'm kind of excited for you that your kids handled that road trip so well, that they're so like pleasant, even though they didn't like the car ride, that they were so well behaved. I mean, that's like like you said, as a parent, that's about as big a win as you can get. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just remembered it's been such a long summer. I remember that we were in Maine at the beginning of the summer, too. So we really did the entire East Coast, except for, ironically, didn't make it down to Florida. But, you know, we went all the way from North Carolina to Maine throughout the course of the summer. And, yeah, the kids really enjoyed it. It's kind of, I don't know, I don't, it's a reminder that if we don't go to Europe, the kid like the kids don't care. As long as they're somewhere that's not home, um, they love to travel. And so that's Ouch. good to know. Yeah, I know. But I mean, that's good. That's good to know, right? Like, we're lucky enough to have miles and points to be able to travel to Europe or to Asia if we want to. But if miles and points go away, we can still travel and the kids will still love it, regardless of where we go. So that was really good to know as well. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pivot away from that and talk about hotels being sneaky. We give so much love to Hyatt. So when Hyatt does some sneaky stuff, we gotta we gotta call him out on it. And Ian did that this week in hawaii he's noticing uh, like the hyatt centric waikiki has been messing with award space but i i guess there's a lot of articles from here marriott's been given issues for this with hotels taking rooms offline taking the ability to book awards uh, away by kind of playing with inventory other things like that we've seen the andas in maui do the same thing and now this this hotel and other hotels i've seen yeah, hyatt places the ones down in, uh, what is it, Olive 8 in Seattle's done similar things and stuff like that before. And I've even seen Hyatt Places add high floor categories for their rooms, just so those rooms aren't standard rooms. So the way the Hyatt program works is anything that's a standard room is bookable on points. So what they tend to do is they'll create a gazillion categories and have very few standard rooms. Andas Maui was the first, I think, to really do this several years ago. They also have done things like require one week bookings, So you have to find seven days of availability in order to book crazy things like that. Uh, but I guess the real, uh, and, and I highly recommend people check out Ian's article. We'll put a link uh, in the show notes, but yeah, it sucks that Hyatt's doing this or that the properties are doing it, but it seems like through the pandemic, they're getting away with it a lot more. And these programs are not pushing back 
And Hyatt definitely doesn't seem to be pushing back on this. Yeah, you have to wonder, like, just because with with the pandemic and everything, if everybody's kind of walking on eggshells with their partners, you know, a lot of the Hyatt hotels are owned by individual uh, people or investors or groups or whatever. They're not actually owned by Hyatt. So they're just paying Hyatt a fee for the, you know, the naming for the advertising, the brand, the program, all that type of thing. So if they push back too hard, will it be like, well, we'll go somewhere else type of thing, something they have to worry about. But the weird thing is, you know, when you book a, a point stay, if the hotel's sold out, they usually get pretty close to what they would get for cash. So I don't know why they play these games. Like, who cares who, where the money comes from? As long as you're getting paid, it's not that big of a difference in the, the monetary value that you should be playing these games. Like, you're still going to get paid. Hyatt's still going to take care of it at a level that is is pretty comparable to what you know I would pay if I was paying cash. So I don't know. I just don't get it. My guess is that revenue managers are trying to figure out this crazy time and they're trying to figure out that where they can sell rooms for more or where demand is going to be. And I mean, Ian points out that several hotels that have, you know, their rates aren't sky high, meaning they probably aren't at full occupancy or close to full occupancy are still doing this. So yeah, I feel like it's probably a revenue management strategy um, but to your point, they do get re- they do get compensated. But when they're not at 100 percent capacity, those numbers that they get paid from the programs are significantly less. That's true. Than, That's than true. when the capacities are higher. So uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what what why exactly they're doing it, but it has to be sort of a revenue so they, strategy. It goes like against common uh, sense, what you think of a program as they get closer to 100 percent. That's when they'll release award space because they'll get paid more for it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that could be could be the case. I mean, I saw that in Northern Michigan on that Marriott property where uh, that so hard to get award space there, and then they were releasing it the same day, and I was booking it. I don't know if that's related to this, but um, yeah, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff is happening. And to your point, the programs are you know there was a point in time where Hyatt and Marriott owned a lot of hotels and properties. They're all going asset light now. They're all selling off all of their land and their properties and going almost strictly uh, management they're becoming management companies only and uh, that means that they have a limited say i stayed in a new hyatt place in amarillo it just opened actually it opened like just before covid started and then it closed for six months and then it was open to like travel nurses for a long period of time so it's only been open to the public for three months and i was talking to the guy at the front desk and he said this is a great hotel and everything but the owners came in and cut back everything and you can't all the walls are thin and you can hear everything and We stayed there for two days and you can hear the neighbors, you can hear everything. And so it makes me think, is even Hyatt allowing these these franchisees to cut corners? I've never heard a Hyatt place as loud as this one. And the employee told me that the owners made the cutbacks. You think that it would be like, you know, because they're all built the exact same. You think there'd be strict building standards that they have to upheld. Maybe they just don't know. But that is kind of crazy. I don't know. But I was kind of taken aback when the guy told me that. And then that was the first night we were there. And then it was just so loud. Even people just walking down the hallway, people above you just walking in the room, you could hear the footsteps and between rooms, you could hear everything. It was it was insane. So who knows uh, what level of influence they have with this? Um, they're basically turning into McDonald's with you know franchises. That's what these hotels are. And that's what these programs are. And that's what basically the hotel industry is turning into. Joe, any uh, thoughts on this? Like you said, this nonsense has been going on for a long time. And especially for people's status, it just seems particularly onerous. But we'll see a lot of companies are using the pandemic as an excuse right now to kind of uh, lower things benefit wise. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about Disney next and they are at the top of the list. So we'll see if this is still the case in two to three years. But it was like that before, and I just feel like these hotels are going to use the pandemic or whatever is going on as an excuse to continue to be this uh, difficult, which it just really, you know, it just leaves a bad taste. Not that we are owed the award space or anything like that, but that still doesn't mean that this is like a consumer-friendly policy. All right, well, let's let's move on to Disney then. And speaking of companies taking stuff away and using the pandemic, as an excuse, this week, Disney announced the end of free Fast Pass at their parks, which is a program that they brought in about 20 years ago. And it, they were sort of the first in the entire amusement industry to have a skip the line pass. And they did it for free for guests over time. Their competitors, Universal, SeaWorld, even Six Flags brought in paid, successful paid Fast Pass or Flash Pass or you know Express Pass programs. Disney kind of been looking to figure out how to maximize the revenue kind of upset because they had this existing fast pass program that was free 
And I think they use COVID as a perfect excuse to get rid of it. But this week they announced Genie Plus or their Genie planning app with Genie Plus. Joe, Genie Plus is their paid FastPass program, correct? I mean, they're they're calling it Genie Plus, but essentially it replaces FastPass. Not quite as good. You're going to pay some money. How exactly does it work? To be fair to Disney, they probably wanted to introduce paid FastPass 17 years ago uh, with FastPass being around for 20 years. Finally, the pandemic gave them the excuse to do this. Disney Genie is basically going to be included in the Disney app and it's paid FastPass because in order to enter the FastPass lines, which are now called Lightning Lanes, um, you will need to pay $15 per day to have access to be able to use your phone to get Lightning Lanes, aka Fast Passes, uh, to go in there. On top of all of that, they're going to have a la carte Lightning Lanes for certain attractions that you cannot get with the Genie Plus. So it's $15 a day for most of the rides, but the special rides like Remy's Ratatouille, which is coming in October, and Rise of the Resistance, uh, which is the huge Star Wars ride that Sean and I always argue about, um, to get a Fast Pass, a Lightning Lane for those, you'll have to pay a la carte. So it could be like $15 per person to get in the lightning lane for those. So besides the fact that Disney is charging for something that used to be free, which I mean, let's be realistic. Okay. It's 2021. These things happen, but I think one of the things that I like the least is they've made the system so complicated that people are going to pay money just to make things easier. And that is probably, that feels even more cynical than just making people pay in general. Why can't they just do it like every other amusement park where you pay uh, like basically a double ticket price and you get a wristband, you get to cut, you know, then you have your special lines instead of this for this and for that. Well, so that I mean, that's a good point, Mark. So for people like Sean and myself, compared to going to Universal, where their Express Pass costs as much as a one day ticket, like $150 per person to get Universal's equivalent of the Express Pass. Instead of that, Disney's only charge only, quote unquote, charging $15 per person, and you are going to get access to almost everything. And then for the ones that you're not getting access to, you can pay separately on top of that. But so it'll probably end up being cheaper. I think, I think that eliminates but, the con- but it eliminates it because it basically by charging 15 bucks, everybody's going to do it. It's basically just a way for them to spoof up the ticket price, you know, without adding anything without, you know, making it seem like they increase the ticket prices again, because a majority of the people going are going to pay that 15 bucks because it's only 15 bucks. And then what good is that line when there's everybody's in it? Yeah, I think that's the thing that we don't know. I tend to agree with you that I think more people are going to buy it, which is going to severely devalue it. However, they had a system like this at Disneyland. Uh, it was called MaxPass. It wasn't exactly the same because you could still get free fast passes. It was not picked up by the majority of guests. So we will see how it is. But Leslie and I were talking about this on Disney Decipher. We recorded like our longest episode ever on this topic, uh, which is um, out when you're listening to this. You know, So we break down all these changes. But we were talking about it offline after. And I think the people this really hurts is... There are tons of people who go to Disney World who just have no idea. Like people didn't even know how to use the free fast passes correctly, um, and now there's like the four pain. different there's four <laughs> different systems, and you know I think that they're going to be people who are going to pay money for this and not even know how to use it. And so that to me is the most cynical part of you know I know a lot of people are complaining about all the money grabbing Disney is doing, and rightfully so. But money grabbing is one thing, but cynical money grabbing um, is just even. It's like another level. So I don't I don't love it as a non Disney lover. uh, My biggest gripe with the parks is how much planning and effort you had to put into getting into everything. The free fast passes you had to book so many days out. And then as soon as you use them, you have to try to find another one that you want to use. And it's just like you're spending time before you even get to the park, wasting hours trying to get this thing set up. And then when you're at the park, you're looking at your phone, trying to find different ones to, to load up and everything just felt very annoying. And I would rather have the option you know, this $15 one feels like it's not going to work so great in my opinion, but just to have the option where it is like universal. If you want to skip lines and you really want to hit all the rides, you pay more and it's a premium and it feels like a premium. You're actually getting on rides quickly where this is just feels like a $15 bump where you'll get on the lines a little bit quicker than people that don't pay, but you're not getting on quicker like at other parks. So it's kind of like middle ground and middle ground on things is usually not great when you're charging for it. So I'd rather have, you know, if Disney did roll out a, ultra premium 
you know, pay an extra hundred dollars and you cut the lines, I'd actually be, it, it would make me more likely to go to Disney if there was certain rides I wanted to hit. And then there'd be times that I'm not really all that interested in hitting stuff, like whatever is available, I'll go to, and then you don't pay it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. The good news is you don't have to pay for your whole trip. So you could just do one $15 a day and then hope, and, and you know, you could try it out. And if you feel like it's going well, then you can get it for the next day. Or if you feel yeah, like it's good. a waste of money, then um, you can just skip it. So, I mean, that's one positive thing. I mean, I'm doing air quotes, which no one can see. Mark, I mean, you make the, the perfect point. This is a vast improvement over the old FastPass system at Disney World. I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but the fact that you had to plan things, if you bought a last-minute ticket where you would get tickets from a cast member and you couldn't reserve yeah, your FastPass. anything. Joe's talking about a complicated system, but FastPass Plus was an incredibly complicated system. I, I don't think that this is any more complicated. I What I do think is Disney was incredibly dishonest with the way that they announced this. They downplayed the fact that these premier attractions weren't going to be included. Um, I think there will be good strategies to take to to get that $15 a day and you know ride the big rides. And I do think that a small, I would say maybe 20, 25% of the people will pay for this. I think these lines will move much quicker. The regular lines will move much quicker. And this will be an improvement for the guest experience over the old system in Florida. I totally believe that. And in California, it's kind of some of the same. You said, as you said, they had a free FastPass solution plus MaxPass this basically just gets rid of that and adds MaxPass. They changed it a little bit, but Genie Plus is very similar to what you got with MaxPass. Uh, but of course, then you have to pay for the for the big rides. But So I think for Disneyland, this is a downgrade. For Disney World, I mean, I guess it's a downgrade, but there was many times I visited Disney World where I couldn't get a lot of fast passes uh, last minute, or I had to really stay on my phone or use these advanced strategies to try to have a better day. And, you know, I think this will be better for the guests. Honestly, it sucks. The thing that's going to suck, Joe, it's $15 a day now. In two years, it'll be $30 a day. They're going to add more attractions. Disney loves to start things low and devalue. MaxPass started at $10 uh, at Disneyland. The next year, it was at $15, then $20, less than six months later or something like that. They kept raising the prices. That's what they're going to do here. So just because we see these low introductory prices doesn't mean that these will be the prices. Disney will raise the prices twice a year. Uh, especially as COVID uh, ends and things get back to normal. Yeah. My only pushback, Sean, to what you said is I feel like for people like you and me, for like Disney fans, if we can afford the $15, even for one day out of our trip, you know, and, you know, as miles and points people now, like there's like, and Leslie and I talk about this on Disney Decipher, there's like no reason to stay on site anymore because you used to get a 30-day head start on Fast Passes, right? Now you don't even get that. You know, you're you're the same as everyone else. So you stay off site, you save hundreds of dollars staying off site, and then you use that those hundreds of dollars to pay for this Genie Plus. Like in terms of rides, people like you and me, Sean, we're not going to have any problems, you know, maximizing our rides and still getting on as many rides as we want to. And then I think for maybe the average guest, this will be okay. But there's that percentage of guests who, you know, like people who come from other countries, um, you know, once they can come again, you know, people who like they have their once in a lifetime trip and they just invested so much into this already. I feel like it's going to take money from them that they're not even going to be able to use well even maybe someone like mark like he might pay 15 dollars for genie plus but he doesn't want to be on his phone all day getting the next one next one next one maybe if his son's old enough his son will do it but like before then like mark doesn't want to be glued to his phone he, he wants to find the next beer he doesn't want to find the next ride oh so you right? have to like you have to load these you don't just go into a line and show them that you have genie plus Exactly. Yeah. No. So it's like, oh, it's like boo, you, you boo. pull up your app and you're like, oh, these rides I can get into the lightning lane for right now. Oh, and you choose that one and you go to that. So, you know, I think, I think, um, for the Disney loving guests, it's going to be fine for the average guest. I, I think we'll see. It's really, you know, like you said, Mark, it really depends. This is all like engineering nerd stuff, but the old fast pass lines, 80% of people getting on the actual ride were from the fast pass line. If it's that much, you know, it's it's still going to be a lot of waiting, but maybe it's going to be 50-50. You know, it depends how Disney kind of manages these lines. So we'll see how that goes. But um, this is all stuff that we'll see when this probably okay. gets released in the fall. So I was like starting to lean towards maybe this will be better. And then you just told me that I still have to spend all day on my phone loading stuff and doing all that stuff. And I will say my uh, big complaint is, you know, the Wi-Fi in the parks usually is terrible. Oh so yeah, I and it's not like they're good at making apps. 
you know, it's not <laughs> the like they are terrible. The yeah, Wi-Fi so. is terrible. So it's a struggle. So, you know, spend this money that you're getting from people to please boost that stuff. But the fact that you still have to load them every time, just, just charge a hundred dollars and give people a special, uh, wristband, please. And let have a, an exclusive line. And the people that really want to ride the rides quickly can do it. This is just too much. I, you know, uh, as somebody that doesn't a... love Disney, I don't, I don't want to do it. I got a solution for you, Mark. It's called the VIP tour. You can pay $750 an hour <laughs> to get into any line you want. That includes travel time. Well, that's a good reminder that Disney is becoming sort of this expensive, bougie vacation even more than it ever has been. And it's going to continue to get more expensive. Uh, but that's... No, that's a reminder to just go to Universal next door and you can do it fun. <laughs> All right. And yes, uh, check out Disney Deciphered for, for more info if you want a full, geeky, longest episode ever breakdown with uh, my good friends, Joe and Leslie. But let's go into rapid fires now. Mark, start us off. All right. So I won't steal Joe's this week because it's an article I haven't written yet. But uh, I reached out to Amex on Amex Chat for my uh, Platinum card. Got a retention offer for it. They tried to, you know, they're getting much better at uh, telling their reps to really try to pump you full of, oh, but you're getting this. We just just expanded uh, the stuff you get. We didn't raise the fee yet. And I had the Schwab, so I, I made sure to mention the 1.25 cent cash out going down to 1.1. And they always want to say, well, can we go through the the new perks for you to see if you missed anything? And I say, no, I mean, I really just wanted to use it to cash out. So that's, a, you know, what do you have for me if you want me to keep this card? And I know in a year it's going to go up $200. So they offered me uh, 55,000 points after $4,000 in spend within three months. I asked if there was any other ones because I really didn't want to add another thing to worry about for spending. Oh, poor you. Yeah, <laughs> I really wanted the 50k no spend, but you uh, help so uh, they, pay off my uh, outer bridge. I mean, outer banks house. I, well, now I got to pay a $550 annual fee, so it's not that great. Anyway, the other offer was 20k with no spend. If it would have been 30k, I would have actually entertained it, maybe just because even though 4k of spend for an extra 25k makes perfect sense, like you should do it every time. But I'm just at that point where I have like six other things I'm working on that I didn't want another one, but. I took it, even if I wanted to cash out the 44,000 points paid for the annual fee, you know, I'm getting all the old stuff. I'll get another airline incidental credit. I'll, you know, I'm still going to, now I'm going to get the FHR $200 credit and stuff like that. The new stuff, the the streaming credits. Uh, so Peacock is uh, in our house for another year, even though there's not much going on there. So that's the thing. It, it's nice that you can do it via Amex chat. Uh, so you don't have to make the phone call, which is great for player two. You just, uh, Put on a wig, Joe, and pretend that you're Jess on the chat. There you go. You don't even have to put on a wig. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, that's the fun part. Tuesday. Come on. <laughs> that's true. You're right. You're right. All right. All right. What's yours, Joe? Uh, my rapid fire is a article with a title that Mark is very proud of. Um, if you do not like this article title, please do not blame Felicia, who wrote the very good article. It is Ashes to Ashes, Dust to Dust, my top 10 dead Disney attractions. Uh, Mark's very proud of that one. You can't see it on his face right now, but he's yeah. with pride. <laughs> so it is uh, 10 attractions from Disney World. You know, might as well get all the Disney stuff into one episode so people don't complain that I spread it out over a ton of episodes. 10 attractions that are no longer around Disney World. Um, I did wonder to myself as I was reading this how old Felicia is because Body Wars is not on here. Um, which people of a certain age will remember Body yeah, she's, Wars. She's about 10 years younger than you, so. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> seemed like a, seemed like one of the youngins uh, lists. So, um, but aside from missing Body Wars, uh, it is, it's a good list, and it's just kind of a reminder. These theme parks are always changing, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst. Um, but, you know, the world's always changing, so we just got to get used to it. But it's a good article, especially if you're- What was a, your number one of your over your uh, lifetime? I mean, Body Wars, you know, I'm a nerd. So Body Wars was always a, a very fun ride. For that me. is, a, I mean, I never got to ride Body Wars, but that's, Mark, that's like Star Tours, but inside of a body. How could that be like the ride that you missed the most at Disney World? <laughs> um, because I learned the, about how the immune system works relevant so like, for the current time and age. Is that like okay. that movie where they're in the spaceship and they go through the nose? Like, in the, Yeah, in pretty the, much. Yeah, 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 yeah pretty much. And it used, the, yeah, it used exactly the Star I, Tours ride system I, and everything. I weep for your childhood that that was the highlight. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's, look, I love that. I loved Mr. Toad's Wild Ride going to the depths of hell. You know, I love I love all the fun stuff at Disney World. So 
What can I say? I'm I here. mean, Felicia put the American Idol experience on there. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, that's uh, that one. That one's questionable. But the rest of her nine and ten, <laughs> nine, nine and ten are sus AF, as the kids will say. Stitch's Great Escape. Well, I'm good with that one. I like I mean, Stitch's Great Escape. It was. Okay. I like the. I like the. Um, what was it? The Alien Encounter before that. I don't know why that was in Disney World. It was like the scariest like five minutes of my entire life. But uh, that was, that was better than I guess Stitch was. Uh, what's your What's your number one, Sean? Disney World? I don't know. Or I Disneyland. My number one at I don't know. I haven't thought about this. I don't know. I can't I'm 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 I was I'm too focused on other stuff. Please. Yeah, so don't hate on Body Wars, okay? Just tell us just tell us your <laughs> tell us your rapid fire. Okay, Mr. Body Wars hater. I know I know Leslie's got my back on this one. I did want to say also, we forgot to mention in the segment, we do have a full article breaking down the fast pass changes to Genie Plus all on the article on the website that Benji wrote as well. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. My rapid fire is Atlantic City status matches. Mark wrote an article last year, a kind of a guide to status matching casino status in Atlantic City. And he just updated it. Uh, uh, Ryan Flanagan, our Facebook moderator, went there, got some incredible offers. Uh, So we have that updated guide on the website. We'll put that link in the description. Um, yeah, super jealous. Ryan Flanagan got like, what, a cruise and a couple nights at win. win. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, and I was just there like what a month and a half ago, and I didn't didn't know about it. So I'm stupid, but hopefully uh, my mistake is your your gain. So check out that guide, and that's going to do it for this week's show. Joe, where can people find you when they are not listening to this fine show on the interwebs? Find me at As Joe Flies all over social media. Find my Disney podcast, Disney Deciphered. If you're going to Disney World and you cannot understand the million things that you need to understand these days, to go, and that's it. What about you, Mark? You can find me on Twitter at Detroit Mark. Email me, Mark, at milestomemories.com. Comment on any of the articles on the website, Miles to Memories. I'll get back to you there. Join our Facebook groups, our Patreon Diamond group. Uh, I'm in there all the time. Send me a message on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Lots of ways. How about you, Sean? Milestomemories.com for all of our podcasts, videos, and posts. And just a reminder on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash milestomemories. Only a handful of slots left at the $10 price before we're going to have to raise the price simply to kind of keep capacity it's been so popular and growing uh thank you to everybody who's in the group uh, just patreon.com forward slash miles to memories thank you so much for listening if you like the show don't forget to subscribe tell a friend check out mark and i's new mtm vegas podcast as well talk to you guys next time see ya bye, bye.